Howdy! My name is Thomas McPhee, and you're listening to The Stem. The Stem is a music podcast where I talk about my thoughts and feelings on whatever happens to make its way into my musical rotation each month. This month, I'll be talking about Devil Is Fine, the debut album from Zeal and Order. Fitting Zeal and Order into any single box is an impossible task, though their own self-description does it best. According to their Facebook page, they are a American slave and black metal band, though I feel this description fails to quite capture the immensity and power that this band demonstrates across a slew of genres, styles, and modes. A more apt description is featured on their Bandcamp page, which says, Imagine this. Django sacrifices a goat on stage, while intimidating slave chants roar and screeching guitar riffs burn in the background. Then, the rhythmic chain-rattling evoking a satanic summoning makes way for the eerily familiar melodies of Norwegian black metal. All of this is the brainchild of the band's singer, producer, and general mastermind, Manuel Gagneau. To get a sense of what they mean by being an American slave band, just listen to the opening moments of the title track, Devil Is Fine. Little one gotta heat my water. The whole album is infused with the essence of old slave songs and spirituals, a dark ritualism and spirituality featuring prominently in the album's lyrics. There is anger, there is righteous fire, and throughout it all, there is the devil, a character who returns again and again through direct reference or through the vivid imagery of fire and blood. In thinking about this album, I imagine it in some ways as an African or African-American centric retelling of Oh Brother Where Art Thou that removes almost all of the comedy and instead replaces it with terror, fury, and darkness. The opening song is probably the simplest and the least metal track on the album that features vocals. We get the call and response, shout singing, punctuated by the sound of chains and of hammer hitting stone. Slowly, a morose piano enters, as does a fuzzy guitar and rolling drum track, building the song to a crescendo that suddenly drops off. The lyrics of the song are of an adult telling their child of the danger of the devil as a forgiver, a promiser, one who appears with many names and who will always be waiting for you. Ultimately, the child is alone in the world and in its fight against the devil, as no one can show them the way and show them how to fight off the promises the devil makes. The lyrics operate on so many levels, and like any successful spiritual, it can be taken to fit any need or problem that it is wanted to. In a way, the song seems to almost warn the listener away from the rest of the album. The songs that follow come from many genres and offer many things, but are filled with darkness, blood, fire, and all that the devil may bring. Be warned. In Ashes is when we get the first taste of what makes the album a black metal album. We start with the fuzz and whir of a guitar staticking a frenzied single note as if the strings were simply being run up and down with a pick rather than played. A bass drum hits as we hear this lyric. Burn the young boy, burn him good. Burn the young boy, burn him good. Wash the crimson stains from the feet. 
again, the spiritual aspect returns, and we can imagine a white KKK leader preaching to his congregation about the lynching they are about to perform. We then hear the strained screams of the singer in the background, and the drums turn into a blast beat breakneck rush forward as the guitar rips and roars in full. Suddenly, all pretense of civility disappears as the lyrics are shouted rather than sung, with full metal screams that are accompanied by the congregants singing in response to the preacher's leadings. It's an incredibly evocative, terrifying, and emotionally raw song that sets the bar high for what we should expect, and lets us know there will be few, if any, moments of peace or rest on the album. Then we move on to Sacrilegium 1, the first of three interludes of sorts, all of which live up to their name of being sacrilege in that they feature no lyrics, but also seem to defy any expectations of genre consistency across the album. Sacrilegium 1 is, without a doubt, an incredibly catchy and excellently crafted dubstep song. The sampling work here is fantastic, as we hear this blurred vocal line that it's hard to tell if it's actually a vocal line or a strange string instrument run through 5,000 layers of electric filter. But the beat is incredibly catchy, and it makes you want to jump up and dance even before the electronic drum beats and bass hit featuring with them what sounds like shards of glass being run across the track and breaking, and then being reassembled in reverse slow motion. A little over halfway through the song, we get a melodic synth line before losing it again to the bass and drum hits that only ask to pummel you into a dark and furious stance. We also get some small samplings of what might be some kind of sermon partway through, but it's hard to make out what exactly is being said. At the end, it all dies away and leaves us a recording that's clearly the sample the main part of the production has been taken from. It's a song chant of sorts, possibly in Arabic, though I'm not certain, and at the very last second you feel the circle complete as you realize where everything in the song has come from. Come On Down returns us to the main core of what this album is about, as we're treated to a single guitar note accompanied by the singer's soul voice singing about being able to see the devil in the field, and beckoning his friends to come on down with him. Then the voices and guitar lines multiply, adding sadness and fear, before the drums and guitars kick off into a metal frenzy and the singing gives way to screams. The whole song is deeply morose and poignant, with breakdowns that feature simple singing set against the dark guitar phrases, as synths and drums run ramshod around the outside of the production, keeping the pace frantic even when it's simplified down to just a few instruments or voices. The highlight of this song is in the bridge of sorts, where Gagno takes his voice and catapults it into a beautiful but terrifying falsetto that blurs the exact words, but leaves simply a feeling of desperation, as if he is at the very end of his ability to communicate to us what he is trying to say. Hence, the falsetto. Then we move into Children's Summon, which starts with an almost childlike xylophone bell melody that moves swiftly and quickly through its chords, before exploding into metal screams and furious guitar shreds. Then, suddenly it all halts in a sudden breakdown, featuring Latin chanting re-emphasized with an insistent bass drum on every syllable. The melody then breaks back in briefly before returning to the frenzied screams and guitar shreds. Then all the elements play over one another before turning into a more traditional metal guitar line, soloing in the center of it all. Then the chanting again, and then the melody over and over do we spin through the song's various melodies, instruments, and ideas. It's slapdash and haphazard, and if it's a summoning ritual, it feels like one being performed by a child, one who has just stumbled across a parent's hidden satanic ritual manual and is simply trying everything that looks interesting rather than practicing with careful precision. 
It's the least effective and my least favorite track on the album, though it still succeeds because it still captures the feeling and momentum of the album itself. It makes sense in the context of the album, but doesn't quite stand up to scrutiny on its own, though I do love the melody line of the song. Sacrilegium 2 comes next, and takes the chime bell xylophone from Children Summon to create a lullaby. Nothing but the chimes play throughout, like a wind-up music box, giving us one of the only moments of rest throughout the album. But given the larger framework of the album, we can imagine this music box of lullaby being played by the devil or some other evil spirit to lure a child into a sense of ease or slumber before stealing them down into the infernal pits or into torment. So even the piece on this album feels on edge. Blood in the River returns to the call-and-response chants and chain-gang sounds of the first song, but infuses more of the metal sensibilities into it. It's slower tempo than many of the other songs on the album, but from the lyrical matter to the demonic screeching rasps in the back, it feels like the heaviest and the nastiest. It's a march, it's a call to arms, it's a terrible warning, and a call to other demented and demonic followers to come forth and enact their revenge and violence upon the world. It's also simpler than many of the other songs, and here that simplicity feels like it's nicely refined, the song only turning to exactly what it needs to to create the effect it wants. While many of the songs on the album feel slightly experimental, this one feels polished while still maintaining a certain edge, terror, and fuzziness on the edges. What Is A Killer Like You Gonna Do Here is the last sung track on the album, and feels like a demented Tom Waits song, which says a lot given where the baseline for dimension in Tom Waits already sits. It's almost a jazz song, featuring stand-up bass and simple finger snaps and bass drum backing as Gagno whispers in a half-sing, half-spoken, alluring, petrifying growl, asking, Have you ever killed a man before? We are walked through the mind of a killer and tested in our limits for violence and self-defense. Even if we are a killer, we find ourselves out of our depths in a room filled with terrors that even we cannot overcome. The song in its latter third breaks into a jazz rock guitar solo, building up an exciting energy that almost seems the outcome of the fear and misery the lyrics have brought up in us. It's the least spiritually connected song of the album and offers a strange moment of peace at least in terms of speed and volume, and yet it still manages to click into the tension and anxiety of the album as a whole. The lyrics of the album are not meant to entertain or please anyone. Instead, it's an exercise in torture, misery, and spiritual absolution and confession. Then we close out the album with Sacrilegium 3, a simple, somber synth melody playing us to the album's conclusion almost as if it is someone crying and reflecting on the violence and damage wrought by everything that just came before. It is what plays as the heroes escape the clutches of the satanic cult, thankful to be safe, but knowing that the evil and horror they witness still exists and will only come back to claim them and others. This album is brutal, cinematic, and operating on so many levels I can barely talk about them all. There's so much potential symbolism and metaphor going on that I'm sure I've skipped over tons of it, and for that I apologize, but I think the biggest thing to get out of this album is anger, fear, and a sense of having been wronged. It's an incredible piece of art that should be applauded for its strangeness, experimentation, and core ideas that push at the definitions of spirituality, metal, and what place slave music has in the modern musical vernacular. There are moments where the album falters slightly under the weight of its own experimentation and bizarreness, but if I'm being honest, 
The only major flaw of this album is that it's only 25 minutes long. At 9 songs, all of which are under 4 minutes, and many are under 3, this album is just a taste of something greater to come. But it makes me bitter to not have any sense of when we might expect more of the terrifying excellence that is Zeal and Ardor. The album was released through the Radicalis label and can be found on iTunes and Bandcamp. Thank you all for listening to another episode. If you missed my announcement on the previous episode, I was featured as a guest on the podcast Mile Wide Club, which is put together by my friend and fellow Hampshire College graduate, Fiona Stewart-Taylor. Our episode discussing Christine and the Queen's self-titled album is available at podomatic.com slash podcast slash milewideclub. You can reach me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Gmail, all at The STEM Podcast. If you have any comments, angry, happy, or otherwise, feel free to send those along. You can also find The STEM on iTunes. Search for The STEM Podcast to find me, and if you can, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating if you like the podcast. The theme music for the show was Cash Rules by Ari De Niro, which is available from Needle Drop Co. I'll be back next month with another episode, but until then, you've been listening to The STEM. <laughs>